Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. So seven virtues that every saint will need. I want to read to you uh, out of Hebrews chapter 6, verse 11. The Bible says this, Hebrews 6, verse 11, and without faith, say faith, it is impossible to please him. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Today, I want to speak to you about the virtue of faith. How many people here say, I want greater faith in my life? I want this virtue in my life. How many believe that even today there can be an atmosphere of faith in this house where we can receive faith? You know, Jesus said, when I return, not if I return, but when I return, will I find faith? I pray he finds faith in this house, in your home, and in your life. Can you say amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Just pray with me. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come right now. Holy Spirit, we ask for you to come and speak, God. Not just my words, but your word, God. And God, we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word of God. So even as I speak, will you disseminate faith in this place? Lord, right now, we receive. Just say, I receive. In Jesus' name, amen. Faith is foundational to a virtuous life. You cannot have a virtuous life unless it starts with faith. Faith first. Last week we spoke in that verse in in Peter where it says, add to your faith virtue. Faith is foundational for virtue. It is the concrete conviction upon which the whole rest of the house will stand. And if you want to have a greater house, a strong house, you're going to have to have the concrete poured deep, poured wide. The concrete conviction of faith is foremost. Everything else has to be built on that. You cannot have truth unless it rests on faith. You cannot have humility unless it's found in faith. Faith is foundational to a virtuous life. And if you want to live a life of virtue, which is excellent, if you want to live a life that is good, if you want to live a life worth living, it starts, hear me, in faith. It starts with the cause of faith. The problem is we live in an increasingly faithless society. We live in a faithless society. What happens when we lose faith When humanity, when a nation loses faith, they eventually forget God. And when you forget God, you'll abandon virtue. And after you've abandoned virtue, you will inevitably, in turn, begin to celebrate vice. For you've forgotten the source of good. And this is how the Bible says they will call good evil and evil good, right, wrong, and wrong, right. What happened? Well, they abandoned the source of virtue. And a faithless society forgets God. And when you forget God, you don't drift into like, a, an, like a, a neutral good. When you forget God, you don't, 
You don't flow down into just an abstract utopia. No, when you forget God, you abandon virtue. And it's not good enough to just not be virtuous. No, now another spirit begins to take over and causes you to celebrate the reverse of God, which is vice. No, 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 it's not good enough for you not to be virtuous. No, no, we have to celebrate vice. And this is the society we find ourselves in today. A society that celebrates vice and scorns virtue. That's why we have the rise, nationwide rise of gambling, substance abuse. We have a loss of freedoms, rampant promiscuity, the sexualizing of children. Say, what has happened? In such a short amount of time, it seems our society is tumbling down a cliff. And I'm here to tell you it's because we have forgotten God. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, the great, the great Russian writer, when he was giving his foremost speech to the West and receiving his Nobel Prize about the work he, that he wrote about Soviet Russia, he, he titled his, his speech this, Godlessness the first step to the gulag. And, and his point is, is, that, is that what happened in Russia wasn't political first. It wasn't socioeconomic and it wasn't war. It was first the abandonment of God. And, and, and he goes on in the speech to say, when the beginning of uh, rumblings of these things happened, he said the elders of Russia would say, all of this is happening because men have forgotten God. And then he goes on, he goes on to say, he, he says, and I've written countless books and I've endured years in the gulag and I've studied and taken hundreds of hours, thousands of hours of testimonies and I've come in the end to the same conclusion. The 60 million lives that were lost and oppressed and broken and murdered came because of our first, our first problem. Men have forgotten God. That's why all this has happened. And what frightens me, if I could say, is that I see America going down the same path. America is forgetting God. We're so wealthy. We're so powerful. We're so strong. And yet we are abandoning the source of all good things. Abandoning the source because, see, it is a virtuous society that grows strong. Not a perfect society, but a virtuous society that grows better and better, brighter and brighter, stronger and stronger. But when we abandon that virtue, we tend towards corruption. And that's what's happening now. And we're degenerating at a very fast rate. And, and, and what is true for the nation is true for, for humans. You know that our natural tendency is not towards just good. You can, you can meet a two-year-old and know the natural tendency is toward the flesh. Screaming, want, desires, emotions. <laughs> like most of society right now. It's about two. Now that's our natural tendency. It's our natural tendency. So what makes us more? What makes us better? What gives us a life worth living? What gives us a life that, that we can build upon? Because that's what we want to do. We want to build marriages. We want to build families. We want to build a strong community. I don't know about you, but I don't want to live in corruption and degradation. I want to live in a strong society, a strong community. Faith is the foundation that builds strength. 
America must return to faith. It must return to faith. Please know there is not a political party or person that is going to rescue America. America must return to faith. There's not a change in the wind that can rescue America. It must return to faith. And in returning to faith, then find our virtue. So what is faith? Speaking about the importance of it, but what is it? Well, it's difficult to describe because faith is spiritual. And so we live and we exist and we speak in the physical, but faith is in the spiritual. So faith, faith is a little complicated, but know that you can have it and you can begin to grow into it and understand it even in the midst of its supernatural qualities. Like when we speak about faith, when I speak about faith, we do know this. When it comes to faith, we know when we have it. And we know when we've lost it. You know when you've lost faith. We know when we have it, and we know when you've lost it, yet it's not physical. It's not material. What is faith? Well, it rests on your countenance. It shows up in your speech. It's seen in your actions, and yet it's invisible. What is faith? Well, you can feel it, but it is not a feeling. I can tell you're missing this because some of you are praying and hoping you feel faith. Faith isn't the feeling. I have faith that God hears me whether I feel or I don't. I have faith that God forgives me whether I feel or whether I don't. I have faith in God whether I feel or whether I don't. Faith is greater than my feelings. Amen? And here's the most interesting thing about faith. Yours can affect mine. And mine can affect yours. And you can feel that happen in a room. That's why I love church. That's why I love conferences. That's why I love special moments of prayer. Because the faith begins to rise. And, and when your faith rises, it, it encourages it draws out my faith. And, and, and this is a side note, but I, I want you to please hear me. Many times when Jesus healed people, he said this phrase, your faith. Your faith opens the path for healing. Your faith, op your faith opens the path to forgiveness. Your faith opens the path to God. Your faith, Jesus said, has, has healed you, which means that even God can only work to the level of your faith. In, in other words, he will not supersede your faith. He'll work with what you're going to give him. So, so, okay, so then what is faith? Well, the Bible gives us a clear definition. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. Yeah, it doesn't clarify things that much. <laughs> faith is that deep. It's that spiritual. All right, let, let's look at it in the Amplified Version, see if we can make sense of this. Now faith is the assurance. Faith is the title deed. When you sign on your home and you get the title, that's your home. Now faith, it's the title. It's the confirmation email. It is what you've got as evidence of things hoped for. But see, we know that we're not hoping in self. We're not hoping in man. We're not hoping in society. We're hoping in God. Therefore, our hope is divinely guaranteed. For he has never failed, and he's not about to start today. 
Faith is the assurance of things divinely guaranteed, and it's the evidence of things not seen. Or you could put it this way. It's the conviction of their reality. Just because I can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. I can't see gravity. I can't see the wind, but it's real. The conviction of their reality. Faith comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced by the physical senses. So therefore, faith is more like a spiritual sense. It's like your spiritual spidey sense, if you will. It helps you navigate the beyond. Faith is something more than just the here and now. It's, 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 it comprehends as a fact, it's real, what is going on in the spiritual. So faith is what I have in the physical to help me navigate the spiritual. That's what faith is. Faith is God-given, and it makes you God-driven. And faith brings you close to God so that you'll become more like God. Faith brings you close to God so that you'll become more like God. What is faith? It's what I have in the here and now to move beyond here and now. Faith. Faith. What is faith? It's what God gives me to get to him. And if I get to him, I'll get what I need to get through. So what does faith look like? What does it look like practice? What does it look like lived out? Well, the Bible's given us an entire chapter of examples. Hebrews chapter 11 is called the hall of faith, where God has enshrined in eternity these examples of people that had, have done great things, and it tells us what their motivation was. It tells us what moved them. It tells us how they accomplished greatness. And over and over, Hebrews 11 says this phrase, by faith, by faith. And it, it shows us what faith looks like. Faith what it looks like is faithfulness to God instead of fearfulness of man. This is what faith looks like applied in your life. Faithfulness to God instead of fearfulness of man. Hebrews 11 clarifies this, and I would encourage you tonight to read the rest of this chapter. This is, the sermon will be undone until you read Hebrews 11, this chapter on your own. And I believe it will give you more of a reference. But let me give you a couple examples. The Bible says in Hebrews 11 that it was by faith that Abraham left his country and left his father's house and traveled for a, to a foreign land, not knowing where the end destination was, a land that was promised to him whose builder and maker and architect was God. What does faith look like? Faith looks like stretching out to a cause even when you don't know how it's going to end up. By faith, Sarah, the Bible says, received power to conceive. Why? Because she considered God faithful. She knew in her own natural, she could not conceive and bear a, a son. But by faith, she considered God faithful and God brought the nations from her. It was by faith, the Bible says, that Moses rejected Pharaoh and rejected the name of Pharaoh, rejected the identity of this world, and instead brought the people of Israel out into the wilderness and led them into the promised land. And the Bible says it was by faith that Moses saw the invisible one. So it was by faith that Moses saw God. A man of faith, please hear me, becomes a faithful man. When I look at the lives of these men and women, what I see is that faith produces faithfulness. Faith makes us faithful. 
Sometimes we might have the desire to be faithful, but unless you have faith, you won't have the capability to be faithful. When I look at Moses, when I look at Noah, when I look at Sarah, and the Bible goes on and talks about Rahab and Samson and Gideon, all these people we see in the life of David, that faith produced faithfulness to God. It is faith that makes you faithful. A man and woman of faith, a man or woman of faith becomes a faithful man or woman. Faith makes you dependable. It makes you devoted. It makes you trustworthy. Amen? Faith makes you recognized by God. When you get into eternity, what is Jesus going to say to you? He's going to say, well done, my good and that's the goal. That's the goal, to become faithful to God, to become faithful to our spouse, to become faithful in our church, to become faithful to the things of God. And faith is what makes you faithful. And so, so the question is, okay, well, faithful, faithful to what? Faithful to who? Well, three areas that I believe that you and I are called to be faithful towards. The first is that you and I are faithful to our Savior faithful to our God. I hope that you would be faithful to the one that found you. Because remember who you were. No faith and no faithfulness. But he's the one that found you and gave you faith and made you faithful. Do you remember the story of the Good Samaritan? Where, where the, the man that was beaten and he was thrown down into the pit and he was broken and he was bruised and everyone else walked by him except one that was faithful to him. And the good Samaritan came down into the pit and he bound up his, uh, his wounds and he brought him up and put him into a home and paid for his stay there so that his healing might continue. Jesus is the good Samaritan. He found you, he fixed you, he freed you. He is the good Samaritan. And more than that, I believe he brought you to this halfway house because your healing is not yet done. And God isn't shocked by that. He's the one that found you. He's the one that bound you up and saved you. And now he brings you into the church and says, let your mind continue to be healed. Let your body continue to be cleansed. Let your relationships be re repaired. Let, let, let me keep, continue to work on you. He's faithful even to bring you here so that the healing can continue until you go into your eternal place when he comes back to get you. He is the good Samaritan, and he, he found us. And, and so the question we have from that place is, will we be faithful to the one that found us, or will we be forgetful of the one that found us? Will we be faithful, or will we be forgetful? And, and I got to tell you, our default mode, forgetful. It's forgetful. How many times did you pray? I mean, let's say dumb prayers, like, God, like, where are my keys? I pray that prayer pff, daily. <laughs> and then you find your keys, and you don't even, like, it's the simplest thing. You know, you just say, like, God, thank you for my keys. Nope, I found them. <laughs> or, or it could go to greater things. Remember the story of the 10 lepers that Jesus healed? 10 lepers, only one came back. He was faithful to all 10, but only one was faithful to him. Nine were forgetful. That is the default mode of humanity. Do you remember the people of Israel? When they were wandering in the wilderness, they kept forgetting what God has done for them and where God brought them out of. Their default mode was forgetful. In fact, they were so frustrated, they spoke out about God so many times. Multiple times God says, that's it, I'm done with these people. 
I'm going to wipe them off the face of the planet. And Moses had to come and say, God, please. He had to mediate. He had to mediate because of our forgetfulness. And I'm thankful because, see, you've got to understand, we always needed a mediator. And I'm thankful that Moses mediated for them, but Jesus mediates for us. Jesus pleads the blood for us. He took the curse so that we might get the blessing. One of the times that Israel had forgotten God, they, 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 had, they, began, to, um, they began to be frustrated and, 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 and come against Moses. And, and uh, they, they, started, they said this phrase, they said, we had it better in Egypt. The Bible says they longed for Egypt, the place of their enslavement. And they longed for it. And do you know the reason why? It's because they wanted meat. Chicken. Steak. Poultry. They wanted meat. That's all it took. And they said, ah, it was better when we were slaves. How forgetful. How forgetful. Almost like God would say, don't you remember who you were in Israel? You were under oppression. You were enslaved. The weight kept getting worse and worse. They made your job harder and harder. They killed your firstborn children. They hated you. And yet you long for that place because you've forgotten God's goodness. You've forgotten what God has done for you. You've forgotten the Red Sea. You've forgotten the, the fact that God broke those chains. You've forgotten that he led you out in a song of praise and victory. You forgot what God has done for you. All, all because you've decided to focus on what you lack instead of all that you have. I mean, you even think about this. They had free food from heaven. This was the first Uber Eats. From heaven. <laughs> and God was the chef. And it tasted like honey. Look, 40 years of eating the same thing, I understand there's some room to complain. But not enough room to say, that's it, I'm going back. From heaven. But the, the, the reality is, it does, God could literally hand feed you and that could not be enough for you. We're that forgetful. We're that prone to not being faithful. And we forget the goodness of God. We forget we forget God when we become consumed with what we lack. And we forget God when we become consumed with ourselves. And then we disregard all the great that God has done. And we get what I call like a microscope mentality. Where you can take the one little thing you don't have, zero out the world around you, and magnify the little things. Well, I don't have a spouse yet. Well, I don't have a relationship. Well, I don't have that number in my bank account. Well, God hasn't answered this one specific prayer about getting a new boss. Well, I, well I, my wife hasn't stopped that annoying laugh. I don't know. <laughs> you know what's so funny? Yeah, it's, so, it's so interesting. This is totally off topic. This is so off topic I should not... I shouldn't preach it. And I say every time when I say I shouldn't, I shouldn't. But you know what's interesting? When you become consumed with yourself, the things you used to love, you, you can begin to hate. Because selfishness is such a, it's such a spirit. Selfishness is such a spirit. And when you become so consumed with yourself, the marriage that you are so thankful for can all of a sudden be something that you feel like is a weight that's dragging you down. And what changed? What changes you've allowed the, the me monster to take over? And you've so zeroed in on the little and the lack that you've forgotten the mighty blessings 
You've forgotten all that God has done, how he brought you out of death into light, what, what, what he has so given you. And, and, and my question is, will you, will, you, will you stay in that microscope mindset or will you get a telescopic mindset where you view the heavens, where you look to God, where you remember what he's done? I'm not saying that there aren't things you wish would change, but in light of all he's done, if he does this, good. If he doesn't, that's okay because all God has done. I remember how he saved me. I remember he answered these prayers. I remember I'm thankful. I'm grateful. I haven't forgotten. I pray you have that kind of mindset that draws heaven close. Because see, an obsession with self is one step back towards slavery of sin. But a recognition of God is one step towards faithfulness and freedom. As John the Baptist said, less of me and more of him, because I want to move towards freedom. My hope, our, my goal is that we would be stay faithful to our Savior, because he's always been faithful to us. Bible says he's faithful to a thousand generations. Faith makes you faithful. First to God, secondly to your calling. I pray that you are faithful to your calling. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 4, he says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be faithful to the calling on your life. And you got to recognize this, you are called. You are called. You might say, well, I'm not. Well, I didn't. No, you are called. If God saved you, he has something for you. He wants to accomplish something in you. He wants to accomplish something through you. And he has anointed you for good works. You are called. And my hope is that you would be faithful to the calling on your life, not disregard it, not count it as less, not be frustrated by it, but that you would be faithful to the calling on your life. Have you ever seen someone that was obviously called and yet did little with their life? Have you ever seen someone that was influential, that was talented, that was significant, just obviously that everything they did, did just seemed to work out, and yet in the end, they wasted that potential? They wasted that that. Uh, inert greatness within them. And maybe they did something, maybe they did something great, but not spiritually significant. I pray that that is not you. The scary thing, though, is being called is not enough. You have to live a life worthy of your calling. You got to make decisions towards your calling. You need wisdom to make the most of your calling because being called isn't enough. Many are called, few are chosen. Do you remember the story of the rich young ruler? Called. He, come, he came before Jesus and Jesus said to him, I want you to follow me, called by the master himself. And yet, when Jesus said, I want you to sell all that you have and give it to the poor, the rich young ruler walked away from his calling. He left Jesus behind him. Why? Because his values were incorrect. His priorities were incorrect. I can't tell you how many people I've seen that have missed their calling because they value the wrong thing. He valued the idol of money over the calling of God. That's a big one. And he walked away, and, and the scripture ends there. That's all we see. That's the last scene. He missed his calling. I mean, do you remember the story of the prodigal son? When he goes to his father and says, I want all that you have, and I want it right now. 
The Bible says he went and he wasted his father's money on wild living until there was a drought and a famine in the land. And he found himself working for a foreigner and he was amongst the pigs and he had nothing to eat and no money. And he couldn't even eat the slop that the pigs got, the lowest of the low. What happened? He walked away from his calling. He wasn't at home with his father. He's in a foreign land serving another man. Another man's vision. And then the enemy got involved in that process and debased him. Made him so much less than he was ever supposed to be. And this is always the plan of the enemy and and the plan of evil. Is to hijack your calling and lead you into foolishness to make you less. But the Bible says when he was amongst the pigs, he came to himself. What did he do? He remembered his calling. He said, even the servants at my father's house eat better than this. They're taken care of. They're loved. I know what I'll do. I'll get up and I'll go back to my father's house. What was he doing? He said, I'm going to return to my calling. I'm leaving this place and I'm moving towards the one who calls. Do you remember who you were when you realized who you truly are? He came to himself, and he said, I'm better than this. I've made some mistakes, but I'm better than this. I've failed, but I'm not going to be a failure for my whole life. I've walked away from the faith, but I can walk back towards the faith. I'm better than this. The enemy wants to come and lie and say, no, you're exactly that. The enemy wants to come and lie and say, you deserve all of this. And the foremost lie of the enemy is that you'll never get out of this. But I pray today by the anointing of God, you come to yourself and you realize who you really are, that you are a child of the most high, that you were called before you ever screwed it up, that God can undo the worst of you and bring out the best of you, that he can reset you, put a robe on you of authority and a ring on your finger, that God has a celebration prepared for you. You are called into leadership, called into authority, called to be a servant, even more than that, a son. Paul says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential, not many of noble birth, but God. He chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is, he is our righteousness, he is our holiness, And he is our redemption. God saved you. He found you. And he called you. Come on. Can you thank God that he came for you? And the third area that you and I are called to be faithful to is faithful to God's family. Faithful to each other. Faithful to this house. Faithful to the community God has put you in. Faithful to our marriages. Faithful to our children, faithful to God's family. Know this, the blood of Jesus 
makes us brothers and sisters. Faith makes us family. Faith makes us family. It's the blood of Jesus that has brought us together. And when we serve each other, we serve the Jesus within each other. Jesus says, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. When you serve each other, you're serving me. When you forgive each other, when you love each other, you're doing it unto me. Faith makes us family. That's why for us, we should believe the best for each other and forgive the worst in each other. Because faith unites us. We are united by our faith. We are united by our faith. A world that can find no unity. A world that is filled with division. And you know that's the plan of the enemy. It's come to steal, to kill, to destroy, and divide. Same tactic as always. It's to divide and then conquer. And I've always found it strange that when the snake spoke to Eve, she was alone. The enemy always wants to get you isolated. He wants to keep you alone. He wants to divide you off. Because when two or more are gathered, there I am in their midst. The enemy knows the power of our unity. And that's why he is doing everything to bring a spirit of deception and division into our nation, into the churches, and into our homes. Because if he can divide us, he can keep us weak. But here's the thing. We are unified by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are family because of faith. We will not buy in to the ways of the world and the deception of the devil that leads to disunity. And I will not look to the world to figure out how to be united in Christ. I will look to the word to figure out how to be united in Christ. The world wants you obsessed with your skin color. The world wants you obsessed with your pronouns. The world wants you obsessed with your identifying markers. And he wants our tribes to get smaller and smaller and smaller. So you can't trust anyone and everyone is your enemy and you disagree with everyone. Division, division, division. The reason he wants this is because he wants destruction, destruction, destruction. But I am here to tell you today that the blood covers us. We are united because of the blood. Whether you're black or white or Hispanic or Asian, you are my brother, you are my sister because of Jesus. If you're in Africa or you're in Asia or you're in Russia or Ukraine, you are my brother if you are found in Jesus. He is our banner. He is our standard. He is our unity. He is our anointing. We come against the lie of the enemy that we are enemies. Certainly not. Our strength is found at the foot of the cross. And I'm going to see you in heaven for eternity. Every day, I'm going to see you. And you're going to see me. And we're going to have new bodies. So who cares what your body looks like now? It's not eternal. You're going to receive a new body. And mine's going to have a six-pack. I prayed about it. We got a deal. 
And we're going to be in unity. One tribe, one nation, one tongue, one kingdom. The kingdom of heaven. That is what is eternal. That is what we're a part of. Peter, Peter tells us this in 1 Peter. He says, but you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You were once not a people, but now you are God's own people. And he identifies you. And he forgives you. And he finds you. And then he brings you and me and us together in divine unity. And that's why we're strong. Because of our commonality of, of the cross. We are the priesthood of all believers. If we have a tribe, we are the Levites. We're set apart for a special purpose to represent God on earth. We are the church. We are not the world. We will not look like, act like, speak like, or believe like the world. And I pray you begin to look different, increasingly so. Physically, emotionally, and spiritually. I pray faith even shows on your countenance. I saw a post from a young man at the church, and you know, every week I do my one-year challenge on if you're saved to come to church for one year, and he posted a picture of who he was last year and a picture of who he is this year. And he told his testimony. But what was so amazing is in one year, he looks physically different. Why? Because faith gets on you, body, mind, and spirit. It begins to change you, change your speech, change how you operate, and faith brings unity. We are God's family. So my challenge to you, church, would be to stay faithful to God, Stay faithful to your calling and stay faithful to each other. Make room for each other's mistakes. Make sure there's a lot of forgiveness because we're going to be in eternity for a long, long time together. And I'd hate if it was awkward up there. <laughs> Faith is foundational to a virtuous life. And that's what we want. We want an excellent life, a strong life. We want a life filled with forgiveness and filled with hope. Faith, is, faith makes you faithful to your Savior, to your calling, and to each other. Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you want to learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon.